Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Good morning, family. We're so thrilled that you chose to spend your Sunday morning with us at the Rialto campus of Sunrise Church. I want to say good morning also to those of you watching online, and if this is your very first time with us, a very special welcome to you. My name is Steve Garcia. I'm the lead pastor here, and, and we're, just, we're just thankful that you, uh, you're here worshiping together with us. You know, earlier, you heard mentioning of this uh, fasting challenge that's happening. You know, these days, fasting is mostly associated with dieting, but it actually came from the Bible, <laughs> and it was almost always giving up food for the purpose of focusing our hearts in prayer. And as we're getting closer to Easter, we want to just have you take on a challenge like this. And maybe you know somebody in your life who does not yet have a personal relationship with Jesus. We want to encourage you to pray for them. And sometimes we need some help to get us focused. And so I'm really proud of our team. They've given all kinds of creative fasts that we could do besides food, though. This morning, I had to give up coffee, or as I like to call it, black gold. And uh, some of you heard coffee. Okay, I'm out. I can't do this. Uh, but you know what? It helps. Because it's, it's, it's caused me to be thinking about some unsaved friends of ours in the neighborhood who we really want to see come to Christ. And so uh, I want to challenge you to use this as a tool to help you get focused in prayer and be thinking of somebody who does not yet know Jesus. Maybe they need you to be praying for them, especially as we get close to Easter. And speaking of Easter, just a couple of weeks away, and we're in a new message series to get our hearts ready as we're moving in that direction. We're talking about the uniqueness of Jesus. And so with that, let's jump into part two. There are thousands of religions in the world, and uh, many people look at Jesus as just another one of the, the leaders of these religions. You know, it's kind of like uh, a menu at a restaurant. Just, just take a look at which, which one you want, okay? You got Jesus, or you can have Muhammad, or Gandhi, or the Dalai Lama, or, or none of the above. That's an option, too. You know, what's interesting is across lots of different religions are roles, roles like the role of a prophet. Many religions uh, claim to have prophets. There's the role of the priest. Many religions claim to have priests. Of course, kings. There's uh, many nations even today that are ruled by a monarchy, and many of which are tied together with the religion of that area. But did you know there's only one person who has held the title of all three, prophet, priest, and king, and his name is Jesus. And if he's the only person who holds that distinction, I think he's probably worth listening to. And maybe Jesus has something he wants to say to you. And so today, we are going to talk about profits. I'm not talking about the financial gain on your investments. We're talking about profits with a PH, not an F. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, make your way to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. We'll also have the verses up here on the screens to help us understand profits. And, and a prophet is simply a spokesperson for God. And some people get confused about that because they think, well, why does God need a spokesperson? 
Why can't he just speak for himself? Then we'll all know he is God. Well, first of all, God doesn't need anything. He chooses to use a spokesperson. He chooses to use prophets, not for him, but for us. Let's go back to where it started. This is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 16. And God was speaking this through Moses to the Israelites who were wandering in the, in the wilderness. It starts in verse 16. He says, For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God nor see this great fire anymore or we will die. This is referring to an incident in which the Israelites, they're getting tired of Moses. We want to hear from God directly. And so God descended upon Mount Sinai in Horeb in fire and earthquakes and lightning and thunder and the sound of trumpet blast. And when he showed up, the people changed their tune right quick. Oh, we don't want to hear from God anymore. And the reason for that was because they suddenly became aware of the sin in their lives. Because if you and I right now had a perfect God appear in front of us, we would automatically be mindful of our own imperfection. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to handle it either. Let me illustrate to you like this. Have you ever put your neck out on the line and made a movie recommendation to your family? And so they, upon your advice, gather the whole family around the TV. And we all start watching this movie that you speak so highly of. And about five minutes in, you start remembering all the offensive content. You're like, oh, oh gosh, this part's in here. Oh, oh, I forgot about that part. Oh. You know, people are looking at you like, what's your problem? Do you have any morals whatsoever? It didn't seem offensive to you when you watched it by yourself. But suddenly when you're in the presence of dear old mom or, or, or little children, you know, suddenly you feel embarrassed and guilty and uncomfortable. If a perfect God appeared right in front of us, that's how we would feel, embarrassed and guilty and uncomfortable with all of the, the things that we've done. And so the people begged Moses, don't let God speak to us directly. And so here was the plan that God instituted. Verse 18, he said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I commanded. God brought about prophets, not for himself, but for us. He gave us somebody that we could handle, a person like us. And so prophets and prophecy is something that can be really confusing. So I want to give us a working definition so that we're all on the page. Prophecy is just simply God's truth spoken through human agents. At the core of prophecy is truth. And God would raise up people to speak his truth on his behalf. Most of that was proclaiming. Some of it was predicting. And so in this passage in Deuteronomy, God promised another prophet that was going to come somewhere in the future. And it was a threefold promise. And, and some of the things that he said we had to look out for was, one, someone who was like Moses. Look, he said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, referring to Moses. Now, that's not a small com comment because Moses left massive shoes to fill. I mean, listen to how Moses was described at the end of his life, Deuteronomy 34.10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So God promised another prophet was coming that's going to be like this. That would be a pretty awesome person. 
Second thing is he said, he's going to need to be a Hebrew. Look, he said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. So whoever this prophet is coming in the future, we now know his ethnicity. He has to be an Israelite. And then the third thing he said is, and I will put my words in his mouth, meaning this, that whatever this prophet would would testify, would proclaim, had to be consistent with things that God already revealed. For example, let's say a prophet shows up and says, okay, you guys heard all of that, thou shalt not steal stuff. Well, I'm the new prophet now. It's okay to steal a little bit. I mean, some, we, we all steal, right? So, no, don't reject that because that's now inconsistent with something that God has already revealed, namely the Ten Commandments. And so these were the promises that, that God laid out. And, and since the time of Moses, there have been many prophets that have come along. Prophets that have anointed leaders, like Samuel. Prophets that have done miracles, like Elijah. Prophets that have had the audience of kings, like Elisha. There's been prophets whose very lives were an object lesson to the nation of Israel. People like Hosea, who were commanded to marry a prostitute as a metaphor of God's love. There was prophets who made short-term predictions that came true, like Joseph predicting a famine in se- that, w- that would come to pass in seven years. There's prophets who made long-term predictions that took a while to come through, like the prophet Micah who predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That came to pass in 700 years. There's even prophets who have made predictions that have yet to come true, like the prophet Ezekiel, who talked about Israel defending his people one day against an enemy invading from the north. And so many prophets had come and gone, all of them very significant in their own way, but none of them were like Moses. The Israelite people were still waiting for that one to arrive, the one they simply referred to as the prophet. Well, the last book in the Old Testament was written by a prophet named Malachi. And then for 400 years, there was no prophetic voice in Israel. Forget the prophet. There was no prophet. You add to this another 1,000 years since God had given this command to Moses, and the total you get are 1,400 years of waiting for this prophet to arrive, the one like Moses. Imagine the yearning of the Israelites. Imagine the frustration. Is this ever going to come to pass? And 400 years of silence were broken when this mysterious figure showed up in the desert out near the Dead Sea, and he started baptizing people and calling them to repentance and proclaiming God's truth and, and predicting God's truth. His name was John. He was the first prophet Israel had seen in 400 years, and so people excitedly flocked out to the wilderness to hear what he had to say and listen to what some of the people asked him when they showed up. This is John 1, verse 29, excuse me, verse 19. It says, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Did you catch that line of questioning there? They're wondering, is this the guy? Is this the one we've been waiting for? And John told him every time, no, no, no. And then he went on to say this, verse 26, 
I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So John basically gave the people a good news, bad news scenario. Okay, he said, bad news is I'm not the prophet. Good news is the prophet is among you. So now imagine the stir that's happening, the anticipation. Well, he, he's, he's among us. Did we run into him? Have we seen him yet? Well, he hadn't been revealed just yet. And the people would have to wait one entire day to get their answer. Verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And verse 34, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. John did not mince words. He said, everybody, you're, you're waiting for the prophet. Here he is, Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, John was the first prophetic voice in 400 years. People hung on his words. And John flatly declared, here he is. I'm not the guy. Jesus is. You'd be surprised how many Christians don't think that Jesus was a prophet. I mean, do a basic Google search, and you'll find no shortage of articles of people who are convinced the Bible says nothing about Jesus being a prophet. Well, here you go right now. John the Baptist, a prophet, said, no, Jesus is the prophet. Well, what about Jesus? Did he ever say he was a prophet? Actually, yes. You know, one time he, he traveled back to his hometown of Nazareth, and he, and he preached in the synagogues, and you know, people wanted to see who, who is this great person everybody's talking about. Well, Jesus' message did not go well. This is how the people responded, Mark 6, verse 3. Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Jesus referred to himself as a prophet. And, and the people in his own hometown, they're, they're ready to throw him off a cliff. And Jesus was able to evade it. So you have a prophet who referred to Jesus as a prophet. You have Jesus himself who refers to himself as a prophet. You know who else did? A group of people who had an axe to grind with Jesus. Samaritans. It was no secret that Jews and Samaritans hated each other. In fact, hate is probably too light of a word. They despised one another. They avoided one another. And one day, Jesus struck up a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And after they went back and forth quite a bit, uh, Jesus said this, verse 16 of John 4. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a, say it with me, prophet. Because a foreigner would not know about her checkered past. Amazingly, after this hard truth Jesus gave her, she went running back to her village and started telling everybody about Jesus. Even the Samaritans believed Jesus was a prophet, as did the Jewish people. 
After one of the most recognizable miracles of the New Testament, Jesus feeding 5,000 people. Listen to how the people reacted. John 6, 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. The one we've been waiting for. This is a sentiment that was shared even by Jesus' disciples. One day, Peter and John, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, they, they healed a man who was born lame. And so people all gathered around to see this miracle. And so Peter leveraged the moment to preach a message. And here's what Peter said, Acts 3.19. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. So Peter and John took it up a level. They said, remember the one Moses talked about all those years ago? It's been fulfilled in Jesus. He is the prophet. So by way of review, a prophet called Jesus a prophet. Jesus called himself a prophet. Samaritans called Jesus a prophet. The Jews called Jesus the prophet. His disciples called Jesus the prophet. And so there's a lot of proclaiming God's truth, but did Jesus make any prophetic predictions? Well, he made a lot. Uh, but I'm going to pick out just one, just from a historical standpoint. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 24. It says that Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. The temple was the epicenter of Jewish religious life. And it sat as a crown jewel up on the, on the top of Mount Zion in the city of Jerusalem. And it was said that when the sun hit the white stones that it was built with, it was as if heaven itself was shining in all its glory. And the disciples pulled Jesus aside and said, get a look at the temple, which prompted Jesus to say this, verse 2, you see all these things, he asked, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another, every one will be thrown down. Jesus made a prophetic prediction that the temple would be destroyed. That was unheard of at that time. I mean, that would be equivalent to somebody in the 1970s looking up at the Twin Towers and saying, saying you, you see these two buildings? In just a couple of years, these things will be removed from the face of the earth. I mean, none of us would have been able to fathom something like that. And yet, you can read about this in your world history books. In the year A.D. 70, the Romans came in and completely destroyed Jerusalem and its temple. In fact, they ravaged it so badly that to this day, archaeologists have only been able to positively identify one stone from the original temple. Just as Jesus said, truly not one stone left upon another. Jesus was the prophet everyone was waiting for. He proclaimed truth. He predicted truth. But did he meet Moses' criteria? Was he, was, was he a prophet like Moses who knew God face to face and did great miracles? Check. Jesus was God in the flesh. He healed people. He, he, he opened eyes. He even raised people back to life. Was he among the fellow Israelites? Check. Jesus, already divine in nature, took on human nature when he was born to a Jewish mother in Mary. But, but did, did Jesus speak the words God put into his mouth? Check. Everything Jesus preached on aligned perfectly with what God had already revealed. Jesus was the perfect prophet, the prophet the world was waiting for. Maybe you hear that and say, okay, Big deal. So Jesus was a prophet. Don't Muslims believe that? The answer is yes. 
I don't know if you know this, but Islam actually teaches that Jesus was a prophet. They respect Jesus mightily. They believe Jesus was a prophet, but that Muhammad was the prophet. You know, some 600 plus years after the time of Jesus, uh, according to, to Islam, uh, Elijah Muhammad was visited by the archangel Gabriel, who divinely inspired Muhammad to write what is now the Quran, the, the Muslim holy text. And this Quran was, was to correct the Bible, which apparently had gotten distorted. And so the new revelation was given to correct the old revelation. And that's how Islam came about. Jesus was a prophet, but Muhammad was the prophet. In fact, Muslims believe that Muhammad is the one mentioned in Deuteronomy 18 of, of God sending a prophet like Moses. I don't know how to get around that whole fellow Israelite thing, considering that Muhammad was an Arab, but nevertheless, that's what they believe. And, and it's interesting that, that he wrote the Quran, which is supposed to be the great prophetic correction of the Bible. When, it's interesting if you just compare the Quran and the Bible. The Bible was written over the course of 1,500 years by 40 different authors in three different languages on three different continents, written by people ranging from kings to shepherds to lawyers, most of whom never met each other. Compare this to the Quran, written by one person over the course of 23 years. And this, this is supposed to be the text that corrects the Bible? And it was given to, to Muhammad by an angel? You know, hundreds of years before Muhammad ever walked the face of the earth, the Apostle Paul issued this warning in Galatians 1. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. So there's been prophets who've come from, from all over the place, self-proclaimed prophets that fall short of what God has called. Even the biblical prophets, as significant as they were, they fell short because they weren't like Moses. And even Moses fell short. But then came Jesus, the perfect prophet, who fulfilled everything God said and more. But Jesus as a prophet did something that no other prophet ever did. See, all prophets point people to God. Jesus pointed people to himself as God. And the most bold of these proclamations came when Jesus said these words in John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a bold claim. In fact, there's three claims in there in this one statement. And so what I want to do is I want to just pick these things apart and see how they could apply to our lives today. So let's start with the first one. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus didn't leave room for there to be other options. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. But there's over like 4,000 religions in the world. How can anybody say just one way is right? You know, there's this, there's this old ancient proverb that, that comes out of India. It's called the, the blind men and the elephant. Maybe you've seen it before. And, and, and the way that it goes is that there's this elephant that, that's on the scene. These blind men start touching it, and, and they start determining what they think it is. So the first guy grabs the tusk, and he thinks it's a spear. Next guy grabs the leg, and he thinks it's the tree. The next guy touches the side of the elephant, and he's convinced that it's a wall. Another guy grabs the tail of the elephant and believes it's a rope and some other variations of the story. Another one touches the trunk and thinks it's a snake. 
and another one touches the large ear of the elephant and believes it to be a fan. Now, this parable of the blind man and the elephant is one that's used in the business world a lot, but it often gets applied to religion. And the idea is that the elephant represents God and the blind men represent all of humanity. And all of us are really all chasing after the same thing. We're just coming about it a different way. That all religions are valid. They just have a different approach. And so, for example, if you're a Muslim, the way to God is through strict observance of the pillars of Islam. You know, if you're a Hindu, the way to God is through achieving moksha. If you're a a Catholic, the way to God is by observing the sacraments. And if you're a Christian, the way to God is believing in Jesus. I mean, there's all these different ways. But Jesus didn't leave room for that at all. He said, I am the way. He didn't prescribe a religion. He didn't prescribe a set of rules. He didn't say you get there by good works. He said it only happens through me. In fact, he doubled down on this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, when he said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus said, according to this world, the majority of people are headed towards the wide gate. He said, but there's a narrow gate, narrow in that it doesn't allow for any other option. That's the one you ought to be looking for. And then Jesus, to make sure everyone was clear, said in John 10, 7, I am the gate. Jesus did not say there's lots of different ways. He claimed to be the only way. Which, which if that's true, that ought to cause us to ask ourselves a question. That is this. Am I on the way to Jesus? Am I headed toward Jesus? Am I, am I on the right bus you know, a number of years ago, my wife Kate and I were in the greater Chicago area, and we wanted to go downtown, so we asked some locals, hey, what's the quickest way to downtown Chicago? They said, go to that corner right there and jump on the 56 bus. So we did. We jumped on the 56, and off we went. And we're just chatting. We're not really paying attention, but it seems like it's taking kind of long to get there. And so I, I get up, and I look out of the, the back window of the bus, and in the rear window, I just see downtown Chicago getting smaller and smaller. We're going the wrong way. Turns out that we were on the 56, but we're going south. We need to be on the 56 going north. And so upon recognizing this, we immediately got off the bus in a super sketchy neighborhood, crossed over the road, got on the other side, and caught the 56 coming the other way. And the reality is that there are some of you in here today and watching online, you're on the wrong bus. You're headed the wrong direction. Some of you are getting romantically involved with somebody who wants nothing to do with Jesus or his church. Are you going the right way? Some of you are, uh, are hanging out with people involved in all kinds of activities that you know did not please the heart of God. Are you going the right way? There's some of us exploring other religions, hoping we could find a little side door into God that allows us to continue to indulge in the sin that we like are you going the, the wrong way? Or are you going the right way? Are you headed toward Jesus? Jesus didn't just say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. He said, the way to heaven is not something. It's someone. Faith in Jesus alone. So the first claim he makes is, I am the way. Here's the second claim. I am the truth. 
Jesus didn't claim just to point people to the truth. He claimed to be the truth. Let's go back to that parable of the blind men and the elephant. And so the, the idea here is that everyone is genuinely believing that they have the truth. And a popular belief in our culture is that if you're just genuine about it, it's got to be true. But if you just peel this back one layer and we say that every religion is true, that, that causes some problems. For example, Christians believe in one God. Hindus believe in multiple gods. Atheists believe in no God. How can they all be true? So the way that we get around this is we say, well, it's true to me. It might not be true to you. It's my truth. My truth might not be your truth. Well, there's a lot of problems with the, the concept of my truth and your truth, but here's one of the biggest ones. None of us live this way in any other aspect of our life. For example, let's say that you had a particularly tough stretch at work. I mean, you were grinding, you're putting in 60 hours a week, and so it's payday, and you show up to your boss, and, and you're ready to get your check. And your boss says, well, it's your truth that you worked 120 hours. My truth is that you worked one hour, and so I'm going to pay you for one hour. And he genuinely believes it. Shouldn't we let him live his truth? When it comes to money, we all want absolute truth. How about when it comes to eternity? Jesus himself claimed to be the truth. And then he went on to say this in John 8. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus used the word true in three different ways in this passage. He said the true followers of Jesus are the ones who listen to his teachings, which are the truth, and then when you do that, that truth will set you free. And some of us, we're, we're, we're in bondage, and, and it causes us to at least ask the question to ourselves, am I living in error? You know, just because I'm genuine about something, and I genuinely believe it's the truth, can I be genuinely wrong? It's amazing how many of us just believe stuff with massive ramifications on our lives in eternity that we don't even know where it came from. I was talking with a young man from this church that I've been getting to know a little bit better, and he was just sharing with me that, that he grew up believing that marriage was just a piece of paper. That's what his family taught him. So in all of his re relationships, he's lived like he was married. He just didn't have the paper to back it up, so he never cared about it. That's error. He's living in error. It's amazing to me how many Christians believe that we can manifest things. I can speak things into existence by, by putting it out there into, into the universe. Where do you get that from? It's amazing to me how many Christians pray to dead relatives. I got the job because Aunt Jane was in the room with me. Where do you get that from? I've heard of, of, of people justifying drug use, saying, well, it's all natural. God created it, so we should, we should enjoy it. You know what else is natural? Salt water. If you drink it, you'll die. Where do you get that stuff from? It's amazing, the things that we'll believe. And yet Jesus is saying, no, no, this is the truth right here. If you want to be set free, here it is. Jesus isn't just pointing us to truth. He's claiming to be the truth, the very standard by which we measure everything else. So the first claim Jesus makes is, I am the way. The second, I am the truth. Here's one more. I am the life. 
And Jesus had lots to say about life, but here's one of the most prominent, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus warned us about an enemy. And that enemy is someone who is trying to deceive you, someone who is trying to steal your life, someone who has their arm around your shoulder and is kindly walking you down the broad road that leads to the wide gate of destruction. His name is Satan, and he does not care about you. Jesus does. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and life to the full. What is life to the full? Life to the full is a life with purpose. It's a life where you can enjoy a relationship with Jesus forever and, and make him known. It's a life of peace, one where you're not constantly gripped by fear and anxiety over what will happen tomorrow or what will happen after I die. It's a life of joy, of in pain and in happiness, I know somebody is with me and who, who's got me. This is the kind of life that Jesus desires for us. And it's a question worth asking to ourselves today is, am I living or do I have life to the full? Because there is a difference. Living is existing. Living is breathing. It's getting up in the morning. It's, it's going through your routines. It's spending time with people that you like and trying to squeeze the most out of life and exist as long as you can. But Jesus said there's more than just existence Jesus wants us to have life to the full, a life with him, a personal relationship with him. He wants it so badly for you, he was willing to trade his own life so that you could have it. That's what Jesus desires for you. He wants you to have this life of him at the center. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? The way that comes about is through faith. It's faith in believing that Jesus is telling you the truth, that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he's the only one who could forgive you of everything you've done wrong and live in your life, change you, and set you up for eternity. You know, thousands of years ago, God made this promise through Moses. Deuteronomy 18, 15. He said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Are you listening to Jesus today? You know that parable of the blind men and the elephants? What's interesting about that story is everyone is blind except for one person, the one telling the story. That one can clearly see that there is an elephant. It's just that everyone has their eyes closed. Today, Jesus is calling you to open your eyes and see him for who he is and believe. Would you like to surrender your life to Jesus today? Would you like to give him your life? If so, in just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer you could repeat after me. It's just a prayer of believing that Jesus is the only one who could save you. You can't save yourself. It's actually not that complicated. It's just saying, Jesus, I, I give you my life. Here it is. Here it is. You come into my life. I want to live, live, live life your way. I want to experience life to the full. If you've never intentionally prayed like that, I want to help you do that right now. In fact, I want to ask everybody to close your eyes, bow your heads online. That goes for you as well. And if you want to give your life to Jesus and have him be your personal Lord and Savior, then repeat these words after me in the silence of your heart. 
Jesus, I give you my life. He will hear you from heaven. You just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. I can't save myself. But I believe you can, Jesus. I believe you died in my place. And I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. Come be my Lord. Come be my Savior. Change me. Open my eyes that I may know the truth and be set free. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you genuinely meant it, you are a child of God, and we want to help you grow in that. We want to encourage you to let us know that you, you prayed so we can help you. On the programs that you got when you came in, there's a, a little card in the back. It, it tears off, just a perforated card, and there's a box on there that says, um, I prayed to receive Christ. You could just check that box, fill that out, and in just a moment when we collect our offering for the day, you can just drop the card right in there, and one of our staff people will get a hold of that, and they'll follow up with you and, and help you understand what it means to, to have made this decision. Maybe you've already prayed to receive Jesus, but you want to get moving. You want to take your next step. You want to grow. Here's an easy way to do that. Take out your phone right now and text the word next to 909-281-7797. Again, one of our staff people will receive that text, exchange a few messages with you, and help you get going. Text next to 909-281-7797. Also in our lobby, there's a big sign that says next. And there's a person out there who can have a personal conversation with you today if you don't want to do the texting thing. Next week, we're going to shift gears and we're going to talk about priests. What's a priest? Is it, is it one of those guys who wears that little white collar that everybody calls father? Or is it something deeper? We're going to look at the, the, the beginning of priests, where they came from in the Bible. And I think you're going to be surprised at just how much this matters to how we live today. Be thinking of who you can invite with you to church next week. Until then, let's know this, that Jesus was the perfect prophet. All other prophets pointed people to God. Jesus pointed people to himself as God. He claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. So today, let's walk in his way. Let's believe his truth, and let's experience his life. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us so much that you would send your one and only son, Jesus, to die in our place, that whoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I pray that if there's anybody in here who's never given their life to you by faith, that they would not leave this place without doing so. I pray for those who have wrestled with personal decisions that are pulling them away from you, those who have been doubting, those who have been hurting. God, I pray that today they would turn their lives back to you, fully trusting that you are the perfect prophet who knows us inside and out, and you know what's best for us, and, and we can trust you with our lives. And so as we continue in our worship through the giving of our gifts and, 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 and offering and tithes, I pray that you take these financial gifts and multiply them so that we can impact people in this church and in this state and in this nation and across the globe. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for coming to save. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Christ. And if you believe in your heart, then let the church say, Amen. Amen. 
Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.